acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to the Hank Haney Podcast, a production of iHeartRadio. Gonna tell it like it really is. We know Haney doesn't give a sh. Silencing critics, eliminate misses. Two chips never accept on shoulders to get better. Everybody knows the name. Read about it. We're golf teachers, Hall of Fame. Never doubt it. It's time for the truth. Here's our dude. You're listening to Haney. You're listening to Haney. You're listening to Haney. It's time for the truth, here's our dude. You're listening to Haney. Yeah. Listening to Haney. Welcome into the Sunday Sizzle. I'm Minnesota Tim Parachka, bringing you the best clips of the week from the Hank Haney podcast. You can go back to Monday's podcast and hear us react to the crazy finish that was the Sony Open. I just enjoy the, the Sony Open. You were texting me during that uh, final round and uh, seemed like you were really into it. <laughs> oh, my, oh, my God. Oh, my God, Nick. I was going absolutely. Okay, so I, I'm i not a very picky person when it comes to entertainment, okay? I'm not very picky. I mean, you see, I'm doing the laughing talker thing. I'm doing the laughing talker thing here, okay? And um, that was one of the worst things that i've ever watched on a on television like i let me let me put it this way okay dan hicks said it perfectly it took 40 minutes to finish to go from uh for brandon still to go from his putt made on 17 to his putt made on 18 oh i know well you text me you text me cause of death Watching the Sony open. <laughs> oh my gosh. They said, oh. this is one of the worst things I have ever watched. Oh my. In, in, including your uh, Vikings getting uh, dominated yesterday. Yeah. No. Uh, you didn't get to watch that. You were on, you were on, a, you were on a, a hot date and uh, 
in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. But anyway, okay, so it was, you thought it was brutal, huh? You couldn't, uh, you couldn't take it. You know, here's the thing. You watch the, the Hawaiian Open, and no matter what the golf is like, it's going to be good. You got sunny skies. You got tropical, you know, uh, scenes. You got the whole beach right there. You know, they show you the surfers out there, the wind surfers. You know, you got some hot chicks roaming along on the beaches in their, uh, you know, bikinis. You got the whole thing going. So no matter what, I mean, a beautiful green grass, it just, you know, couldn't be a better setting. So no matter what, it's going to be fun to watch. Oh, oh, I forgot. It rained all day long. It was a mud bath out there. The greens were flooded. It was as brown, as overcast as overcast can get. Oh, we missed that part, didn't we? Oh, man. It wasn't good, was it? No, it was not no, good. It, it was, was not good. It was ugly and nasty, and Hank, I was... I thought, I thought, I thought they were in Minnesota or something. No, I mean, it's not that bad. <laughs> Yeah, it was it was terrible. Oh my gosh. It was snowing today in Minnesota, by the way. But was it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was snowing today. But anyway, yeah, the yeah, Hank, I was I just gave a so Steve and I did the Saturday strong episode on Saturday. Okay. Yeah. And uh who did, who did he who did he pick to win, by the way? He picked uh he his three players were Justin Thomas, Keegan Bradley, and Brant Snedeker. He picked them on on Saturday? I mean Justin Thomas had missed the cut already. No, we were well. We recorded it on Thursday. Okay. Oh, so he recorded early. Okay. All right. Okay. So, so, so he he didn't do very. He 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 won't he won't even claim that he picked this one, will he? No, no. no this one will go so into either. the forgotten bank. Yeah. Yeah. This will go in the forgotten bank. Now, I, uh, you and I did some picks before the the tournament started, and I, uh, I was just tallying them up. We had some head to head competitions, and I went two two and one. So it's a it's a break even situation there. Uh, I picked uh, two wins, two losses, one tie, and then we picked. I picked three players. You know, I was playing the the big money line bets. Uh, Colin Morikawa, I had him uh, getting you know plus sixteen hundred, bet a hundred, win sixteen hundred. I had Webb Simpson, uh, bet a hundred, get twelve hundred. So I took him to you know he was close, one shot out of the playoff. That was a you know coulda woulda shit on a, on a nice bet. And I had Justin Thomas. He missed the cut. Uh, another bad week for weather. I mean, the wind was just howling over there, raining the whole the whole deal. Uh, so anyway, not a great, you know. I mean, not not a disaster for me from from picking wise, but uh, not a you know not what you call a, a victory. Although you, you know that the 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 percentage that like NFL like handicappers if they're like if they are really really good, you know they they get something like. 54%, right? Or 53% or 52. I mean, that's enough. You know, they just, they bet a ton of games. They bet a lot of games and, you know, you're not, you're not going to win like 80% of them. So anyway, I don't, I don't feel bad. I'll, I'll make a comeback next week. Uh, you know, it's just uh, it's the way it goes sometimes. But uh, so let's talk about this, this boring uh, day that you didn't, you didn't like. And Brendan Steele, um, boy, oh boy, did he, he, uh, he let that one get away, didn't he? Yeah, and that 18, oh my God. Paul Azinger said, he, Paul Azinger said at the end, Paul, Paul Azinger has turned into a little bit of a sugar coater. I mean, he goes, I'm not going to say he gave it away. I mean, say what? 
you're you're on a reachable par five with no trouble off the tee, playing ball in hand, you know, market, give yourself a good lie on a reachable par five. And he he you know he he's he's you know got to grind it out gets a a lucky break where he gets to drop it you know from nowhere he's behind the stands and everything he's got to drop it and then he has a wedge shot and he leaves that like forty feet short and two putts and next thing you know we got a playoff and then he gets in the playoff and he's got a what has he got three wood something wedge in there and he blows that over the green uh, chips it like. Eight or ten feet by off of you know they're they're of course they're analyzing he's got an uphill lie this is you know this shot will be doable this is fine you know he's got a good lie uphill lie da, 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 blows it eight feet ten feet by oh my god misses the putt you know not even close on the putt and uh, you know that's it Cameron Smith wins and he's like in shock you know and they're like I mean the, the whole thing was just like wow man alive. Yeah, Paul, he said, I don't think he gave it away. Well, he didn't give it away. I mean, I guarantee you, he felt like he gave it away. I can tell you. And then he, go, then he goes, but he did have one hand on the trophy. <laughs> when you have one hand on the trophy and it, you know, doesn't work out, I mean, the other guy, okay, I know, you know, Cameron's with birdied 18. Oh, a big deal. He birdied a, he birdied a par five. I mean, really? You know, he got it up and in from a bunker, greenside bunker, a wet greenside bunker. You couldn't have an easier shot, Tim, than a wet bunker shot. They're just, it's just not much can go wrong. You got a perfect lie. You know, there's no chance you're going to, you know, hit it, hit it fat off of a wet lie. The ball's going to stop. I mean, just about as easy a shot as you can get. He makes birdie. And, you know, I mean, that he should have, but I mean, Brendan Steele did give it away. I mean, that's just the, that's, that's how he feels, I'm sure. I mean, I'm sure he was counting his money, don't you think? Yeah, in the final round here, Hank, um, his strokes gain putting number was negative 3.6 against okay. the field. Well, that's not very good as far as I can tell. Now, let's look at the overall – let's look at some of the overall stats for this. I want to talk to you about this, okay? Because um, we've been keeping track of this for a long time now. I don't know when you started doing that, but uh, like where people finished on putting. You know, there's always this debate, ball striking versus putting. Everybody wants to tell you the most important statistic is is your approach shot to the green, which it's a very, very important statistic. There's no doubt about it. But in terms of winning, uh, and you, when did you start doing this top 10 putting stat? I mean, it was way back when. In the yeah, it was, yeah, it was right around last year from the uh, PGA Championship okay. when Brooks Kepko won. All right, so there's been a, a exceptions, but not many. And uh, I think it's, you know, running something like 80% at least uh, that the winners have been top 10 in putting. It was this, it, it, last week it was a, the same deal. And then this week um, you've got <laughs> Cameron Smith, by the way, uh, he finished first in putting for the week. Uh, 8.2 strokes gained putting versus uh, Brendan Steele, uh, he he did not have a he, he had a good week putting to him. He was fifth even even at, so he was just making everything he looked at until the last day and then he like you said he, he had a bad putting day, but he still you know he loses on the putting green by two and a half shots and then he ends up tying, 
with uh, with Cameron Smith. And you look at some of the other guys that were challenge, challengers. Webb Simpson, he was uh, 13th in putting, 3.9 strokes gained. So he he lost, you know, by four and a half shots on the putting green to Cameron Smith. Loses by a shot. Ryan Palmer, who had the you know l- lost ball out of bounds, whatever it was on the last hole, ricocheted off top of the scoreboard. Kind of a bad break, but a bad shot, and then a bad break. And he ends up losing by two, but he he was twenty fourth and putting two point five strokes gain. So he he loses you know on the on the putting green by you know almost eight shots or, or almost six shots on the on the putting green alone. And so it, it did boil down to putting. I mean that's kind of what what ends up happening. I mean it, it a lot of golf tournaments and you know it's probably upwards of eighty percent. I mean and, and we you know like. I, I know I always throw out that statistic, and you started keeping track of it since, like you said, last year at the PGA, and it's pretty much holding through, you know, just about every week, right? About at 80%, something like that. Yeah, Cameron Smith won the tournament, Hank. Cameron Smith, he won, and uh, he finished 53rd in uh, strokes gained approach to the green. So he overcame that. That's not very good. That's right. not very good. His tee to green was 30th. His tee to green was 30th. Uh, you know that it's that that's that's not stellar uh, for sure. Usually, I always say you got to parlay a great putting tournament with a great ball striking tournament. He he really had the ball striking ball striking term was okay, and then the putting term was was uh, was great first. Let's take a brief pause and hear from our sponsors. Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm going to talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic. And then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, 
and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never seen before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my, this idea of what, do, is, that, is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know, oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hank and the Great Predictor reacted and shared memories from the legendary Pete Dye, their good friend. You can go back to Tuesday's show and hear the entire episode on the Hank Caney podcast. Pete Dye passing away. Oh, my gosh. He was a friend of yours. He was a good friend of yours, Hank, huh? Oh, man. I love Pete Dye. Jeez. I mean, he was, uh, yeah, a good friend. You know, I met Pete when I was out at uh, La Quinta... Well, I was out in La Quinta at PJ West. Of course, he designed uh, a couple of the golf courses out there. The stadium course is is one of his famous golf course, uh, PJ West Stadium Course. And I met Pete when I was out there working for a Landmark Land Company, teaching out there in the in the desert. And of course, that's where they're uh, playing this week at the uh, American Express uh, deal, which has you know been so many different things. But it, you know, I, I just kind of call it the Bob Hope because that's what it was. Um, but uh, met Pete out there and, you know, lucky enough to go around the golf course with him when he was designing it and everything. And then, uh, he asked me one day, he said, would you be interested in, uh, going and looking at this golf course that I I'm doing in Dallas and the golf course, he, he said, is, is a big development, you know, huge development. They're doing two courses there. Arthur Hills is doing one of the courses, and I'm doing the other course. I'm doing the members course. The, the You know, there's two clubs there. And he said, would you be interested in coming to talk to them? They want to hire, like, the best teaching pro they can. And they've got, like, your name on a list and and uh, David Ledbetter's name on the list. And I, I don't know, you know, who who else, but they didn't have many people on the list. And I was lucky enough to be one of the people on the list. So I, I said, wow, man, I really like it out here in, you know, in, in La Quinta. I mean, I, I mean I'm living in uh, God's country, as Steve refers to it, as, you know, California. You liked it out there, too, Hank. You liked oh, it. Oh, yeah. I only got, only got shook off my bed a few times with the earthquakes, which is always nice when the house starts rattling. You don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, luckily, no fires and mudslides out in La Quinta, so that's good. Uh, just an occasional dust storm, but yeah, it was it's nice. Uh, you know, 120 in the summer, 125 some days. Uh, just drink a lot of water. I was teaching all day long out there, but uh, yeah, I liked it. I liked it. It was great. And then uh, he said, "Would you go talk to these guys?" And I, I said, "Oh man," I said, "All right, I'll go talk to them." So I flew to Dallas, and then you know, next thing you know, uh, I'm moving to Dallas. We're out of here. We're moving to Dallas. And uh, so who's the first person I hire in Dallas? That would be <laughs> the great predictor, Steve Johnson. Oh. But that was before he could predict anything. Yeah, that, that was that was really young in my predicting days. And uh, that was a big career move for me, Hank. I mean, getting to work for you. And, and I mean, now it's 30-something years ago now. And uh, 
you know, it, uh, it's been great. I mean, it's hard to believe it's a job, to be honest. <laughs> that, that is true. That it is really true. is. I mean, you know, we, we've so, had a lot so of great you opportunities. Were the, you were the pro at the Pete Dye course, Stonebridge yeah, Country Club. It was great. Yeah. You know, a lot of people don't know that Pete Dye was a very good golfer. He was a pro golfer for a while. I played on the tour back in the day when the tour was traveling. There wasn't a lot of money, and there wasn't, uh, you know, he had uh, Dean Beeman was one of his buddies, and Arnold Palmer was one of his buddies. And he came to Stonebridge Country Club and qualified for the U.S. Senior Open back after he turned 50. And uh, one of our assistants was lucky enough to go to caddy for him. And they said, man, this guy can really play. I mean, you think of a guy as an architect, Hank, and you don't think, well, you know, I wonder what he did before that. He was probably, you know, a landscaper or something like that. Well, God, this right. guy was a pro golfer. Right. Yeah. So, what, okay, well, what, what, I, I don't even remember that story. How did he yeah. do the qualifying? He came out, he came out, and one of our assistants caddied for him. And on every green, he would say to the caddy, to my assistant, he'd say, which way does the water drain off this green? That's all he'd ask. Which way does yeah. the water drain off this green? And he'd, he'd really, that way he could understand the slopes on the greens and all that. And I'd be damned, the guy qualified for the U.S. Senior Open. Seriously, I, did, yeah. I do not remember this story. This, yeah. was a, this is a great story. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's a, unbelievable. Oh I think that he was like 50. Course, that golf course was so, well, I mean, it was hard. There's yeah. no two ways about it. And, and Pete was so incredible with his designs. He would... He would mess with everybody's head, like you know, and you know, Steve, because we went around the course with him a lot, and he would say, you know, oh, they're gonna, you know, they're gonna think they don't have anywhere to drive it, and they don't realize that this fairway is, you know, fifty yards wide, and he visually he made it uh, made it in- intimidating, and, and you know, with big, huge lakes, of course, you know, it's the same penalty if you hit it a yard in a lake as if you hit it a hundred yards in the lake, but. It just it made it uh, you know harder to hit those tee shots and those second shots and oh I thought that, I thought that course was hard but yeah you know, it was very hard yeah but that, you know he he designed what people wanted though you know yeah. that's what he did yeah yeah and you know the thing is I mean we we know him because he, you'd been around him so much he helped us with our little nine hole golf course at uh, it uh, the golf ranch the very first golf ranch he was out there with you and he says hey Hank we'll put this you know did the routing and all that. And uh, yeah. that's where we met David Reedman, one of his big assistants, one of his uh, superintendents. But yeah. tell us how much, I mean, Alice Dye, we talk about Pete Dye and his golf courses. Tell us about Alice Dye's influence on those golf courses. Well, I mean, eh? she she was right there with Pete every step of the way, and she passed away a few years ago. And now, you know, now, uh, now Pete has, uh, you know, uh, gone too. But it's just, uh, you know, I mean, they're just two of the greatest people you'd ever meet. And, of course, Alice was always somebody that championed, uh, you know, the the ladies' game and the ladies' tees, and you know, and and you know, you know, nowadays people talk about you know playing from the you know more up tees. Well, I mean, you know, Pete and Alice were talking about that for forever. They were good, you know, an incredible uh, a team together. And and Pete would always point out that you know Alice had a lot of uh, say in, in in things as well. She had a lot of great. As a matter of fact, you know. She's the one that really told him to do the Island Green, which is like Pete's most famous hole, the Island Green at at uh, TPC Sawgrass. But uh, you know they they were just incredible. Their their uh, contribution to the game of golf is just I mean it it, it will you know obviously live on forever. Uh, their their sons are, are golf course architects too, but but uh, you know Pete 
influenced so many architects. And Steve, you know this. I mean, you know, he he did one of his first courses, like Jack Nicholas did, but with, with Pete was was the uh, Harbor Town course, mm-hmm. you know, at Hilton and of course, that's you know considered just an iconic golf course. Well, that was a, a collaboration with Pete and Jack Nicholson. And Pete did you know uh, worked with with Greg Norman and and I mean all of them, Steve. I, you know, and when anybody wanted to get into the golf course architecture business, they always went to learn from Pete Dye. And uh, you know, and, and and Pete would was known for building you know the railroad ties and really really hard golf courses. But like I said earlier, a lot of times he just built what people wanted. Like at PJ West, they wanted like you build us the hardest golf course there is. And so you know, Pete went and built you know the hardest golf course there was. And then people said this course is so hard. Well, you know, he got a reputation like that. But a lot of times it's what people really wanted built. Like the the developers. They wanted notoriety, and one of the ways to get notoriety was, well, well let's build something, you know, really, really difficult. And uh, you know, oftentimes he did. But man, he was incredible, incredible. And you're, you know, you told that story about our, our golf ranch, which was the first place that you and I built together, the uh, Hank Haney Golf Ranch. It was just a nine-hole course, and and Pete was in town. He came out. He says, "What are you doing?" I, and and you know, we told him we're we're you know building a little nine-hole course. He said, oh, "Come out there and, and take a look today." And he cut, so we drive him around the golf course and he, you know, says, you know, you know, put this first hole kind of over here. And he said, okay, where's the second hole going to go? And I said, oh, it's going to go right here. And he said, oh, that looks, that looks good. You know, he's sick a little bunker here. And then we go to number three and he said, oh man, this is a good hole. It's like, okay, this would be a perfect place for a Dan Green. He said, but you build a green kind of like this. And, and then we went around the whole nine holes and then he, he got done. He says, and, and he said, do all that stuff and you can call it a Pete Dye course. Yeah. Like, he was very, oh he God. was very generous with his advice yeah. and, and, uh, you know, and you did have a special relationship with you because he kind of, you know, around me, Hank, he was, he's an artist and he was kind of like, you'd talk to him, but you wouldn't, you'd know that he really wasn't kind of listening. He was kind of off on his own. <laughs> he was thinking about something else, but when you, you guys had that special relationship and, uh, it was neat to see, it was neat to be around it. Now he will be definitely missed. You know, he never had plans when he built these golf courses. Like really? he would, he had no plans. He had no budget. Wow. Like when these these developers would hire him to to build the course, and he go, you know, let's do up some plans. And he was like, I don't have any plans. I don't I don't do plans. I make it up when I get out there. Now, what he would do would he do a routing? So you know, he'd know where the clubhouse was going to be, and he'd know where the, you know, you know, really when you design a golf course, for the most part, it's two loops. So there's a, there's a front nine loop and a back nine loop. You start off at the clubhouse and you come back to the clubhouse twice. And you just figure out, okay, which way is the loop going? We're going this way or this way with the loop. And he would do that. He'd do the routing. But he but he never had, like a lot of times in golf course architecture, people will do, do drawings and they'll build off the drawings. A lot of times architects would you know hardly ever go to the property and they just build right off the drawing that they'd make. And, you know, Pete would do it when he got out there. He'd figure it out. And a lot of times he, he would, you know, draw holes on napkins and stuff. Like, you know, okay, here's, you know, he'd be at dinner and he'd, he'd just, you know, eating dinner. And then next thing you know, he's, he's he asks the waitress for a pen or something. And he's, you know, he, you know right on the placemat, he, you know, paper placemat, he draws, you know, the 18th hole. You know, Wow. What do, what do you what do you th- what do you think about this? This would be this would be a good 18th hole, wouldn't it? And, and he'd bring that with him tomorrow, and he'd get out there and build. And then 
I remember one time we were out there at the, you know, I think we were at Stonebridge, and I said, man, Pete, these guys you got shaping this course, you know, the, the dozer operators, I said, they're, I mean, they're unbelievable. I said, they might, you know, how, I mean, I mean, how long's this guy, you know, been working for you? I mean, this guy looks like he really knows what he's doing. Pete goes, Pete goes, first time he's ever been on a golf course. <laughs> Some of those guys, I remember Gary Owen back at Stonebridge Country Club, he was moving dirt for Pete. And he thought he was building a motocross course, Hank. He thought he said, yeah. "Hey, Pete, if you just tell me what I'm we're building, I know I can build it." He says, "You know, you just keep doing what I'm asking you to do, and I'll let you know when we're done." So, <laughs> yeah, but, but but he said he said I I said what do you how can they not how can they know what they're doing? He says I I don't I don't want them to have any preconceived notions. I just want them to to do what I'm I'm telling them to do. So he would like say, "Okay, you you know see that." hill over there or you see that mountain over there or that you know mound over there kind of do it like that and do a little more like this and and that was you know how he 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 did it and it was it was amazing to to see him him do all that but i mean as great as he was at uh being an architect to me he's just such an incredible person and and like you said so uh, giving and sharing and he, and all the people that he trained and the people that he helped in their career and you know i mean like we we're, we're the only ones that had a free Pete Dye, you know, nine-hole golf course design. I mean, it was, it was pretty pretty amazing. On Thursday's episode, Hank brought on professional bowler Steve Haas, and they discussed the similarities between golf and bowling. Bowling a 300 versus a hole-in-one. You can go back to Thursday's episode and hear the entire show. Your bowling career, your golf career, you're 47 years old. So, like, how long have you been have, have been doing both of these two sports? I'm going to say, you know, I started bowling as soon as I can remember. Um, my, my grandfather and my dad actually got me into bowling. Um, where I live in Pennsylvania, we, we can golf for a good, I'm going to say, seven, maybe eight months out of the year. Um, you might get another month or so, but it gets kind of cold and snowy. So in our area, especially in our area, everyone that golfs in the summer, you know, bowls the, the winter leagues over the winter. So I, I'd always tag along. And uh, so I started bowling since I can remember six, seven years old, I think, is when I started in junior leagues. And when I was old enough to get a club in my hand, um, then I went out to the golf course, too, uh, with my dad and with my grandfather. So, so I, I saw, I saw, I follow you on Twitter. I follow you on Twitter. I saw you, you, uh, you played uh, New Year's Eve golf. I did. We in, in Pennsylvania, so we got to play on New Year's Eve. That was that was pretty awesome. That's a little unusual, but uh, it it can happen in this area. So, well, it's it's one of those years for for the for the weather. Okay, so you started bowling when you were like six years old. Now, Minnesota Tim. Uh, is has this quest to, to he wants to break 200. Now he almost did it. Uh, got a little uh, nervous uh, last uh, frame through the split and uh, cost him. Uh, could only pick up one of those pins and he he got a 199. Uh, I mean it was a heartbreaker. Uh, well he's he's had a lot of heartbreakers lately, but this was a big heartbreaker. And anyway, my my question is, how old do you think you were when you bowled your first 200? Oh, what a great question. I'm going to say 11, 11, 12 years old, maybe. All right. So, Tim, how's that make you feel right there? <laughs> a little rough there. It's, it's like listening to Tiger Woods shoot a 65 when he was five or something. 
right. Well, well anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll move on from that. Okay. So let, let me ask you this, Steve. What, I mean, I don't know how to talk bowling. Okay. I was looking, I was looking on your uh, Twitter. You've got a great uh, YouTube site too, Banner Bowling and a YouTube you. channel. And where you, you give out different tips. Talk about that a little bit. Sure, sure. So for, for the YouTube channel, it's a Banner Knowledge Bowling or Banner Bowling. Um, in On the PBA Tour, when you win a title, you get a banner with your name on it, and they'll put that down on the lane. So when ah. you go to a tournament and you travel there, um, you know, one of the goals is you want to get a banner. You want to win a title. So um, the, the reason I created the, the YouTube channel was because I've been bowling my whole life. I am not, uh, I'm not trained professionally. You can get certified in coaching through the USBC and there's different organizations. I, I do not have any of those certifications, but I've worked with some of the best coaches, you know, around the world with bowling. And I know what they have told me and I know what I have done in my competition. Um, I'm also a, a motive staffer. So Motive Bowling is is one of the, the ball companies um, in the industry. So I represent Motive Bowling. So any tournament that I bowl, I have the shirt, you know, I, I use their equipment. And I'll review the equipment that they come out with, the different bowling balls, what they do, um, how they will, uh, you know, how you can use them to attack different lane patterns when you're bowling. Um, so, um, and I also do some tips coaching, you know, things that I have learned over my career on, you know, and, and I put that onto the YouTube channel. It's, it's crazy. I have, I think over a half a million views. Seriously. My, That's awesome. Yeah, for my videos, I have people from Japan, Germany, you know, reaching out to me uh, in the United States as well, you know, asking for advice, you know, can you do this? Can I do that? What about a ball? I'm having trouble with, you know, making 10 pins or, or what have you. So it's really been a cool way to, you know, uh, communicate with people from, you know, around the country. And when I bowl the, the professional tournaments, a lot of the times there's pro-ams. So we, I get to bowl with and meet a lot of people, which is the most awesome thing that I get from traveling. And, you know, you can kind of create those friendships uh, with folks that, that you've met over the years. And, you know, they follow on YouTube and, and then they'll ask you questions. And, uh, one of the, one of the guys who was in the Maryland area was having some trouble and, and I gave him a little bit of advice and he shot an 800 set for three games. And he's like, Steve, you helped me shoot 800. I'm like, no, no, no. You shot the 800 set. You know, you're the Jeez, one that put in the work. That's pretty that, good. That did it. So it was pretty awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty cool way to reach out. When Tim put his video out, um, on Twitter, you know, I, I tweeted back, now you get 140 characters. It's a little hard to, yeah. What do you yeah, think? What do you think? What do you think about Tim's style? I mean, he's, 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 it's, 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 I don't know anything about bowling, but his footwork, it looks a little funny to me. Yeah. He, he's, uh, I, I think you called it twinkle toes. Yeah. He's got uh, a little twinkle toes I, I, going, doesn't he? A little, a little bad. You know, bowling's all about balance. Okay. You know, you have, you have a heavy ball that's in one of your arms. So if, if you think about it, a 15 pound ball, that's, you know, if you're right handed on the right side of your body and, you don't want to fall over your, your brain is hardwired to not fall over. So you want to be able to move through space, you know, as you deliver that ball with as much power as you can, because think about it. Bowling's about knocking heavy sticks down far away. 
And you want to be able to effectively transfer that power from your swing to the pins. And ultimately, we got to get him into you know a little bit better balance so that you can effectively deliver the ball down the lane. Now, I think you said, Hank, once it's uh, a, a plan with, with a, a, yeah, a goal without a plan. Goal without a plan yeah. is nothing but a dream. Yeah. So right now he's at a dream. I, I think we we need to to get a plan together, and and that's going to help him get over that two hundred barrier. I like it. I like it. Tim, you taking notes on this tonight? I am taking notes on it for sure. Okay. Uh, it's right. it's fun to listen to it. Well, uh, Tim's t- Tim's got, got a lot of uh, bowling uh, questions. He, he he sends me every time he he goes bowling. He he, he sends me like his scores and stuff, and and uh, I, I want to see him uh, achieve this 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 goal. But okay, so you let me ask you a couple things, uh, Steve. The, sure. the you. you you mentioned the three game set. Is that is is that how you kind of play? Why, why, what's what's the what? Give me the deal on the three game set. Yeah, that, that's a good question. In most uh, uh, people that bowl bowl a league, most leagues are three games. Okay. So so the USBC, I guess that would be akin to the USGA, the United States Bowling Congress. They're the ones that come up with the rules and. And all of that kind of stuff. Um, when you sanction um, a three-game set, if you shoot an 800 set, and that's for three games, that's going to average what 267, I guess, for, for each game for three games. Yeah. So that's pretty significant. Really, if you're able to do that. Yeah. What's your um, best? Th- what's your best three-game set? I uh, my highest was 855. Wow. So I struck all but I think three times or something like that out of the thirty six frames or thirty six frames. Game. You strike all but three times. You get an eight eight fifty eight. What is it? Eight eight fifty five. Fifty five. Jeez. I, what I ended up with. Yeah, it was a little wow. crazy. It was one of those days. You you know you kind of you kind of. So what what about the one up. game? Have you have you bowled a what? What's everybody's the, the everybody wants to bowl three hundred? Is that the like dream? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So the three hundred would be twelve consecutive consecutive strikes in yep. one game and uh yeah i have a bunch of those but i i don't know how more than 40 maybe seriously so that that's that's like a hole in one in golf don't you think or what i mean i i think it's harder know, than a hole in one in golf to be honest with yeah you, but. a hole in one in golf i when, i don't want to say it's lucky but you kind of got to be lucky yeah uh, a, a 300 game build so you know you have you know two in a row three in a row four in a row five in a row so it's more like trying to break 60, maybe, you know, you're going to shoot 59 or, or something like that, yeah. where, you know, the next shot's a little more pressure and a little more pressure if you're outcome-based focused, which I try not to be. I try to, you know, you know, work on, you know, this is what I want to do, you know, that, that type of thing. And it'll be whatever it'll be after you let go of the ball. Okay. So what's it like when you're, 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 you're you've done it like 40 something times, bowled the 300, but what's it like when you're, you know, you got one one left to go okay and 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 you you know it's just like okay i mean uh, you know you hear what it's like when guys have a putt for 59 and which rarely happens on the pga tour but you know it does happen and, and got you know so what's going through your mind when you've got uh one one last uh what do you call it? Lane? Or what, what, what one last shot. One, one last you know. shot. Okay. What do you got? Okay. So what, what's, what's your mindset? Uh, what, what are you thinking? What should you be thinking? So what really, what I think is, is, is a process 
you know, I, I really try to, to stay in the moment and think of the process. So um, when you're bowling, um, there are um, on, a, on, a, on the bowling lane, there are marks on the lanes. There are boards and the dots and the arrows are on boards and those help you target. So the first thing is you want to put your feet in the right spot because you want to throw the ball down the line that the lanes are currently giving you on that day. So what, what, what is uh, what is that what does that mean? Like you talk is that like what you're talking about lane patterns? What does that mean? Yeah, lane patterns. That that good question. So um, I'm gonna I'll make a golf analogy. Um, so if if you play my like my local municipal course, I think it's like a slope rating 116. And let's say I'm a two, you know, which I am in my league there. I'm I'm a two handicap for nine holes. Um, and I play from the white tees. Um, that is, you know, and there are scratch golfers in this league and all that, but those scratch golfers can't play from the tips at TPC Sawgrass because the track is much harder. You know, there's water, there's big sand traps and, and the whole nine yards. So in bowling, um, traditionally they put down a lacquer or they put down what they call lane oil, a conditioner to protect the lanes from the bowling balls, beating them up. Well, as you know, from just physics, if you make the surface slicker, the ball can't slow down. If the ball can't slow down, it will never hook. So they learned over time that they can manipulate how to put that lane conditioner down to make the lanes easier or harder. Wow. They can make you play closer to the gutter or closer to the middle part of the lane. So at the at, in bowling's US Open that would be one of the hardest lane conditions that we would bowl on let's take a brief pause and hear from our sponsors Comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with season two of the award-winning film podcast. And this time with a lot more movies. I'm your host, Alex Fumero, and each week I'm gonna talk to the people behind some of my favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the OG spy kid, Alexa Penavega. You had Carlo Gugino, who's the coolest mom ever. You had Antonio, who's handsome, amazing, charismatic, and then Carvin and Juni. I felt like a lot of other kids felt like this could be me. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Every episode will feature interviews with the biggest actors, directors, writers, and producers behind your favorite films and tap into the history of Latinos in film. 
Listen to More Than a Movie as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast. On Purpose is dedicated to helping you be happier, healthier, and more healed. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how he got comfortable with fear, navigating the changes in relationships, and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. This conversation shows a never-seen-before side to Orlando Bloom and his unique life journey. I think we all struggle sometimes to really deeply believe that we are enough, that we're valued, that we're valuable. You know, we're imprinted by our parents from the age of zero to seven, right? Mm. I'm constantly trying to go like, how do I detach from my from this idea of what do, is that? Is that my baggage? I look like my baggage. I mean, I know. Oh, okay, that's mine. Let's unpack that. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. On Friday's podcast, Hank reacted to the new slow play policy on the PGA Tour. Will it be fixed? Go to Friday's episode of the Hank Haney Podcast and hear the entire show. In Hawaii, PGA Tour Commissioner uh, Jay Monahan uh, was adamant that the primary objective is not necessarily to speed up play. He says, quote, a focus on time creates other problems. I don't know what he's, what he's talking about there. And then you got Tyler Dennis, PGA Tour Senior Vice President and Chief of Operations, confirm that's not the focus. The overall round times haven't really changed over the last 20 years, uh, Dennis said, citing research from historical shot link data. Uh, as such, these changes won't address the amount of time it takes to play around, especially on Thursdays and Fridays, or the difficulty some events face finishing in the daylight, which has been a, which has been an issue. Uh, in the last couple of years, so the PGA Tour has had trouble finishing when we're in, in daylight savings time, and the you know you got an hour less of sunlight or more because the, the you know the, the days get longer as the year goes on, and and what the tour has done is is they've they've done a, a couple of things. One, they've 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 shortened some of the fields, which which they're doing this year at the Genesis. They're making Tiger's the tournament that benefits his foundation. Out at, at Riviera, they're, they're making that tournament an invitational, which means they can have fewer players in it. And as a result, that will get them through in time. The other thing that they've done on, on the tours, they, they've had this uh, deal where, where they'll have a, a, a secondary cut. So you have the cut after Friday, then they have the cut. Out, if there's too many guys make the cut, like, you know, normally, okay, they're looking for the low cut is 70 and ties. But if the last place is tied and there's like 82 players that make the cut, well, that's too many players to get them around on Saturday and Sunday in a comfortable time, teeing off, you know, not, you know, at, at the crack of dawn. Uh, th so they what they do is they have a secondary cut and they'll cut it down to 72. So so every, everybody that got cut on Friday, okay, so they're obviously out, but then then more players would get cut on Saturday to get the field down to the size that they needed to be down to get the the rounds on. So so that that has been an issue. Now they're saying that this speeding up play and what they're going to do is is not something that is really relevant to what they're they're trying to do. 
which doesn't make any sense. Of course, a lot of stuff they say doesn't make any sense at the PJ Tour. And it seems like Jay Monahan, every time he says something, uh, doesn't need to be addressed. I mean, I can't remember. I mean, he's, he's, he's done this on numerous occasions, though, but he'll say, well, that's, that's not an issue. And then next, next week or next month or whatever, then they address that, that issue that he said wasn't an issue, you know, a, a month or two ago. It's, it's like hilarious. Like, like he was adamant last year that there's, there's nothing wrong with slow play, but, then all the players got together and they're all everybody's screaming about they have forever. You know, we've we've talked on, on this podcast when we had Marco Miran and Tommy Armour, and it doesn't matter who you talk to on the PGA tour, every single player will tell you that slow play is an issue. And yet the commissioner says, Well, slow play is not an issue. We all know it's an issue. It's the biggest issue in, in, in golf. It's the biggest fixable issue there is in golf. Uh, you know, when I had a radio show, we anytime that a slow play would come up, the phone lines would absolutely light up. Nothing lit the phone lines up more than slow play conversation, period, period. I mean, every time we talked about slow play, the, the phone line would be just solid booked the whole show. And and, and everybody just, just wants this address. And I talk about everybody. I'm talking... Everybody who plays the game of golf, and I don't think that the the governing bodies, you know, the the PGA Tour, the PGA, the RNA. I know the PGA would like to address it, but the but the RNA, the the USGA. I, I don't think they really care. I mean, clearly they don't because they 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 take forever to play at the U.S. Open. Uh, they blame it on how hard the golf course is. They blame it on the fast, firm conditions, which, which definitely has an impact on it. You know, when you have fast greens and guys roll putts by and they got to keep marking them, it just keeps adding time to the round. Uh, you got to hunt for your ball in the deep rough, I and mean, it adds time to the round. Uh, but but then they, you know, they they do make little changes that they, you know, like like you can only search for your ball for for three minutes, which I think is like a. a I don't think that's a good chance. I think somebody should have an opportunity to find his ball. And, uh, you know, I, they went from five minutes to three minutes. That's not that much of a look. Uh, okay, you're saving two minutes. If if somebody gets in a situation where they lose their ball, Not not that doesn't happen that often. You know, it's not like every group has to hunt five minutes for a golf ball every time they play. I mean, it doesn't really happen. I don't know, you know, really – why they needed to change that rule. I don't really like like that change, and I don't think it really is going to speed up the round, to be honest with you. But if the if the governing bodies and, and the you know the PGA Tour is the one you see the most because they're the ones that are on TV the most. U.S. Open has one tournament. I mean, they got the U.S. Open, the, the USGA. The RNA has one tournament. They got the, the Open Championship. But the PGA Tour is on all the time. I mean, they're on every week with a tournament. And, you know, and it's not just – Every week, I mean, it's twice a week or three times a week. I mean, they got the Corn Ferry Tour, they got the Champions Tour or Senior Tour, whatever they call it. They've got the the PGA Tour, so they're on all the time. And when the players take a long time to play, what happens is is that the average golfer sees this. They see guys lining up their their putts, uh, marking it, lining the line up on the putter or on the ball. Uh, then they stand back, look at it. They go line up the line again. Uh, they get out their yardage book to look at the green slope. 
they, they see them in the fairway where they're overshot, looking at the yardage, looking at the this, looking at the that, back off, back off, you know, new club, this and that. I mean, they, they, they watch all that, and then they see how long it takes to play these shots, and it influences the way people play golf. I mean, you, you can't expect the average player to watch tournaments on TV and, and watch all these players playing so slow I mean, they take they play in twosomes on weekends. They still can't play in, in less than four hours. They can't come close to playing in less than four hours. And you know, the, and and then you're going to have the the average golfer. I mean, he's going to do what he sees on TV. If the PGA Tour and the U.S. Open and the and the Open Championship, they played in you know four hours or three hours and four they should play faster they're playing in threesomes and twosomes i mean they should be playing in three and a half hours on, on the weekends if they played at that kind of pace and that was the norm uh, it would definitely speed up in my mind it would speed up the rounds of golf that average players play i don't think you can tell average players to play in three hours and 45 minutes or four hours when it takes them you know four and a half to five hours on the pga tour to play i just don't i just don't think it's possible but this is the number one hot button you know there's a lot of things that are that are tough in golf i mean it's expensive uh that's not impossible but but harder to overcome uh, the other thing about golf is it's very difficult. That's really difficult to overcome. I mean, it's just that's a, that's an obstacle that's that's you know it's always going to exist. Golf's a hard game, but the obstacle that golf takes too much time and and that it, it, it's it's too slow. It's that's something that could easily be Im- improved on. And I think the you know the PGA Tour should be the one that takes the, the lead on this. So for whatever reason, they they you know I, they'll tell you that it's not a problem. They'll tell you that it's it's always been this way. They'll tell you that it's like this for the last twenty years, but then here they go. They're, they're coming out with their their new policy. So their old policy was that uh, players were put on the clock, which which means uh, if your group falls behind, like if you're more than a hole behind, the officials would come up and they would tell the players, "Okay, you're on the clock." And that means that we're timing your group until you make up the space that's open in front of you. So if you're, you know, if, if this group is on the 11th hole and they're on the 11th tee and there's nobody on the 11th green, then they said, okay, you're a hole behind. And if you're a hole behind, we're going to put you on the clock. And what they would do is they would start timing everybody in the group. And if you happen to have a bad time, uh, then they're gonna, you know, warn you that you got a bad time, and then I think they, you know, if you get another bad time or whatever, maybe they give you a, a fine. But but very few penalties were ever ever doled out. I mean, they they gave a penalty. You remember back in uh, well when the in 2013 Masters, I think it was the the amateur from China, uh, Guam got got a he got a penalty. They 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 picked him out and gave him a penalty like he's the only guy that was slow i mean what a what a joke that was and then they gave out another penalty they gave out slow penal play penalties at the uh zurich classic i think that was in uh i don't know when that was it might have been 2013 too i mean it's you know rarely is this policy ever ever uh really enforced there you go back to 1995 uh, Glenn Day, remember his nickname? His nickname was All Day. Well, Glenn Day got a got a penalized for slow play, yeah, but it's but those are like the only three instances that there's that there's ever anybody been been penalized. 
And, you know, you know, we've got plenty of cases where you could look and you could say, this is just ridiculous. Of course, everybody remembers at Torrey Pines a couple of years ago, uh, J.B. Holmes taking forever to hit on the on the last hole. And it's not fair to your playing partners. And it, it just it just really isn't because there's ice in those guys down. They want to get going. Um, and then uh, the big one was Bryson DeChambeau, who, who you remember when he took just forever to play this this putt. I mean, it was just like ridiculous back and forth out with the book, you know, caddy in, caddy out. I mean, it's just crazy stuff, uh, which 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 ends up, you know, hurting hurting these guys, you know, image. Well, after the DeChambeau deal, of course, the, you know, the PGA Tour gets asked about it and they, uh, you know, they, they they get all kinds of, you know, questions about it. And then, you know, when they do change something, they go, well, we've been, we've been working on this for, for months. It didn't have anything to do with, with that deal. They don't want to, you know, say that that was the, the, the one thing, impetus to the change. But obviously it was. And then, of course, Molinari's brother, uh, he, he made a big statement. You know, he, he plays on the European tour and he made a big statement on Twitter and, so, you know, sort of made these, you know, how slow everything is. And then that got their attention and the, and the, the the European Tour decided to come up with some different uh, guidelines, and they're going to try to speed things up. So this is all all good stuff. So what's what's the the tour going to do? Well, um, <laughs> they are going to have this thing called an observation list. <laughs> okay, now this is kind of akin to what people have 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 said. A lot of people suggested that you ought to put a list of everybody who's a slow player, and you ought to post it. Like on the bulletin board, okay, these are all the guys that are slow players. Well, the tour doesn't like to do anything like that. They don't like to tell anybody uh, who they find or who's under suspension or what they're under suspension for or any dis- disciplinary action that's been taken. They don't want it. They don't want it. So they're going to they're gonna keep this list private. Nobody's going to know about this list. But obviously, everybody will know about this list because you'll know if you're on the list. And guys will know who's not on the list and guys will talk and this will be you know, sort of, uh, you know, sort of kept quiet. Who knows how that's really going to work? But the observation list is going to going to kind of go like this. Now, what what players will make the list? Well, uh, every stroke throughout the round must be played. They say in less than sixty seconds, in absence of a valid reason. So I don't know, you know, valid reason. I'm not sure what a valid reason is. I mean, maybe you, you got to look for your ball. Okay, you got the you got the three minutes, or who knows what all the valid reasons are. Uh, your ball's damaged, and you, you need a little extra time to check it, or you're checking for casual. Why? I don't. I don't know. You know, there's probably many different valid reasons, and they're probably going to exploit the valid reasons too. Uh, but if if you're observed by an official to exceed that time, a player will be timed on an individual basis as as soon as he can be notified. So so somebody has to see you take more than 60 seconds, and then they're going to notify you that we've saw you take more than 60 seconds, and now we're going we're gonna to start timing you. Now, typically, there's like, I think there's like three or four PGA Tour officials, probably like four PGA Tour officials at every tournament that are referee in the tournament. Which means that there's two on each nine, you know, because you got, you know, players going off front nine and back nine. You got two two officials. So, so how? And they've got other things to do, like you know, answering questions because nobody knows the rules. I mean, no one, no one on tour knows really what the rules are. 
So every time there's a, any kind of a rules question, nobody wants to get penalized. Nobody wants to get in trouble. Nobody wants to get, uh, you know, uh, be all over social media for, you know, accused of cheating or whatever. So they always call for the official. They always call for the official. So you got these two officials and they, 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 you know, I mean, it depends on the course and depends on the day, but they're going to stay pretty busy. I mean, it's not like they're just going to, you know, sitting around doing nothing. These guys are, are doing something. So I don't know who the guys are that are going to do this timing. Maybe maybe they're going to, you know, employ more officials. Okay, this is an expense for the PGA Tour. And I'm sure this has something to do with why they, they haven't wanted to address slow play. Because they cannot address slow play with the exact same number of staff members that they've always had. If they really wanted to address slow play... They'd have to have, well, I mean, to do it right, I mean, you'd have to have somebody on every hole. Thanks for tuning into the Sunday Sizzle on the Hank Haney Podcast. I'm Minnesota Tim Parachka. You can email the show, hankhaneygolf at outlook.com. Call the show, 833-426-5763, extension 801. And you can tweet and follow the show on Twitter, at Hank Haney. Thanks for making the Hank Haney Podcast a part of your day. Thanks for tuning into the Hank Haney Podcast. Listen, follow, rate, and share on iTunes, on the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. And you can make your thoughts and questions heard by emailing the show at hankhaneygoff at outlook.com. And you can also tweet me directly by sending your tweets to at Hank Haney on Twitter. The Hank Haney Podcast is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. And like always, we'll be here every week. You'll hear from TV writers, actors, comics creators, pop culture critics. Nothing is off the table. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose podcast. This week, I talked to Orlando Bloom in a rare interview where we went deep into how to get comfortable with fear and how to change the guilt and shame thought pattern. People say, what are you afraid of, right? I'm afraid of fear because it's like, I want to confront anything in my life that feels challenging on those levels. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.